Hello, and welcome to a special community affairs show. This is Alicia Bales, and tonight we'll be talking about the planning for reopening local schools. With Ukiah Unified School District Superintendent Deb Cuban, Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services Katie Summer, and Director of Maintenance, Operations, and Transportation Gabriel Sherman. In the last week, new guidance has come down from the state that includes incentives for reopening schools as soon as February 15th for the youngest students from transitional kindergarten to second grade, followed by third to sixth graders by March 15th. While there are other considerations such as our case rate, red or purple tier status, and testing capabilities, Ukiah Unified is working hard right now to have their safety plan submitted to the state possibly as soon as this Friday, to be ready to safely reopen for in-person instruction as soon as possible. Welcome, Deb, Katie, and Gabe. Thank you so much for coming on KZYX tonight. Thank you so much for having us. So let's start with you, Deb Cuban. You're the superintendent of Ukiah Unified School District, and I know that this process has been going on for many, many months since the original shelter-in-place and the schools were closed the second week of March. So now it seems that we're in a turning point, uh, that the schools have been closed, but now it seems like we are in a point where schools are going to begin the opening process. Can you talk about this planning process and the timeline for, uh, and what has changed that, that makes this the time now when we're really seriously talking about this? Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for having us today. Um, it, it has definitely been um, quite a challenging nine months. I think it's been nine months, maybe 10. We may be going on 10. Um, and uh, the guidance has changed um, probably three times now. Uh, we've been working on our reopening plan since last May. Um, and, and we're a district that embraces collaboration and, and shared decision-making. So we've been working with our stakeholder groups, our, our teachers, our classified employees, our, um, our administrators, uh, consulting with parents, our parent advisory committee on reopening since May. The challenge has been that the plans continually change as we learn more about this pandemic, obviously. So um, the, the California Department of Public Health last, uh, on July, sorry, January 14th, put out um, new a new framework for reopening schools. And so we're now taking our, our reopening plan and adjusting it based off of that new framework that came out last Thursday. Um, in the framework, um, it there are several uh, key changes to it. One of them is um, regarding opening our elementary our elementary schools um, in grades TK through six. And I know the governor's proposal um, is really uh, pushing to make that happen by February 15th for transitional kindergarten through second grade. Um, we want to make sure that things are absolutely safe for our staff and our students. And so our plans are, are centering around that. Um, for our now with the new guidance for our students in transitional kindergarten through sixth grade, the in order to reopen for in-person learning, there has to be a countywide adjusted COVID case rate of less than 25 COVID cases. And that has to be consistent over a five-day period. So that's probably the biggest change for um, bringing our elementary students back to school. Um, our secondary students are still subject to the colored tiers. 
So right now as a county, we're in purple. We have to um, be placed in the red tier by the state and we have to maintain that red tier for five days before we would be able, be able to reopen our um, seventh through 12th grades. So we're looking at this sort of in, in uh, two buckets. Um, the other piece that is required is we have to have a COVID safety plan, which we I'm very happy to report we've been working on since May. Um, we do need to update it with the new guidance, but um, we have to have that COVID safety plan and we have to submit it to the Mendocino County Public Health and also a new state uh, safe schools for all um, team at the state level. So we submit that those plans to those two groups. They have seven days to give us a response. If they don't respond, that's a, then we're clear to open. Um, if they give us feedback for change, we have to implement the change and then we resubmit it and they have another seven days to respond. So we're hoping to get it right the first time. We are definitely using the guidance of our local public health officer, Dr. Corin, um, and the team there, as well as the California Department of Public Health. And our goal is to, because we've done so much um, in terms of getting input from our stakeholders, we're planning to try and finish that off this week and get that plan initially submitted by early next week. So we can get the paperwork side of it all finished and we can get more sets of eyes on our reopening plan to make sure that it's safe. Um, we know that probably by next week, um, our numbers will not show that we are at 25 cases or less because we are in a surge right now. Um, but we at least want to get the, the, the go ahead to reopen when we can, um, when we meet that criteria for reopening with our COVID numbers. There's some pretty powerful incentives from the state to get this done as soon as possible, right? Um, there are, uh, that hasn't been passed into law yet, but our lawmakers are currently, it's a proposal from the governor. And um, yes, there there is a powerful incentive. Um, for Ukiah Unified, we estimate it would be about, you know, between three and $4 million that we will be eligible to receive. But I will put a little asterisk by that because with these dollars um, comes an increased requirement for testing, um, which is a good thing, but a lot of that funding will probably be used to pay for the testing um, that we will be doing. So that's probably one of the biggest differences in, in the guidance is um, uh, a requirement for increased testing, not just of staff, but also of students. So we can talk about that, but um, that is uh, part of the governor's proposal um, to get a, a, for school districts that submit their plans by February 1st, um, they're, they're eligible for these um, grants, but there are definitely conditions to the grants. So we're really, um, we're really mostly motivated to get our paperwork in and to open when it's safe. And uh, if we're eligible for those grants, that's awesome. Um, most of the funding will be used to, to support increase the increased cadence is what the state is calling it of testing. Um, but uh, we definitely will be, um, if we get our plan submitted eligible to uh, apply for that grant funding. Right. And it sounds like uh, you feel good about where the plan is right now in terms of being able to submit it uh, very soon. 
we do feel good about that. There are definitely some significant changes in the new California Department of Public Health guidance. So we really need to process that with our staff this week. Um, we have uh, we have labor negotiations going on this week. Um, we have this awesome collaborative committee that meets uh, with administrators and teachers and classified employees on it. Um, I'm doing a parent advisory. We have a parent advisory committee in the district, so I'm meeting with them this week. So we're trying to um, to to get their input, make sure we didn't miss anything in terms of what's being recommended. And then uh, we also have uh, Cal OSHA requirements that we need to check our plan for to make sure that we've got everything covered. So I feel like we're in pretty good shape. Um, all of our school sites also have COVID safety plans and uh, they're in the final phases of finishing those as well. All right. Well, you're listening to Deb Cuban. She's the superintendent of Ukiah Unified School District. And we're talking about the potential for schools uh, for the youngest kids in our community in, in the Ukiah Valley to be open as soon as February 15th. But it sounds like it's going to be a sprint to that date to to get everything in order. I'd like to talk a little bit about the the differences between uh, or the the changes you mentioned that there were there's new guidance, even newer guidance coming down from the state on Thursday. Um, and I'd like to understand what those significant changes are, but can we turn to Katie Summer, who's the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services. You've been working on the details the kind of the nitty-gritty of the planning for Ukiah schools. Can you talk to us about about some of those those changes that have come down and, and what challenges that presents to you uh, in terms of planning? Sure. Um, so, you know, some of the challenges that we've had um, just as guidance has come down from the state is um, guidance around physical distancing, um, how cohorting um, and uh, grouping needs to occur, um, and all those preventative measures. Um, that support um, students staying safe and staff staying, staying safe. So those have been some of the um, things that we've been looking at. In terms of the educational program, there are other requirements that um, we have to make sure uh, that students are receiving uh, 240 instructional minutes every day, live daily interaction and check-in with their teachers, um, and that they're getting a well-rounded education. So that's a lot of what we've been doing is really um, diving into those details um, to make sure that our students are getting a great education um, and that we're making sure that we're uh, staying current with the changes that uh, seem to come out about monthly. And I'm sure that uh, you've got an enormous number of stakeholders. So a very quickly changing uh, environment of, you know, this rule and that rule that everybody has to adhere to, that then has to get communicated to thousands, literally thousands of people, and not all of them are grownups. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I'm, my mind is boggled about how you even approach this, uh, this challenge. I mean, it's beyond a challenge. So can you talk about some of the nitty gritty of the planning? Sure. Well, some of the also some of the documents that we've created for education in terms of um, both staff and students and families understanding what expectations are around safety, 
Um, we've been working on creating those and also making sure that they're staying updated. So some of those documents include a health and safety handbook um, that parents uh, read and read with their child and understand. We've created videos and put together banks of videos around training um, for students and um, our uh, Great communications officer Doug Schald has worked on creating a website, uh, putting together all these resources so that we can share those out to families. Um, and that's been really important uh, through the process. Um, continued communication. Uh, we do a weekly communication. I uh, should say Deb Cuban, our superintendent, um, communicates with our families every week. And in those communications, we've been putting in those uh, safety guidance um, and some of those other communication documents. Um, as we've been planning, we've had different committee groups looking at different components uh, of planning from uh, food service to uh, cleaning and facilities uh, to the educational program training. Um, and then those groups uh, have been reporting back and contributing to our overall plans. Um, and then like uh, Superintendent Cuban mentioned, uh, we have our collaborative committee that also kind of looks at what are all those committees doing together and putting that information all in one place um, into our plans. Um, and then very important, we uh, work you know, very closely with our leadership team which are composed of administrators in the district um, to make sure we're meeting uh, all those health and safety guidance and creating a really good educational program. How is school going to look different for Ukiah kids uh, when the doors open back up? Well, so as many people know, one of the challenges that we have to meet is um, we need to ensure that students uh, are at a safe uh, distance from each other. Um, and so one of the things that will look different is that we will need to open in a hybrid program. Um, and hybrid really means we're trying to get about half of the students um, on the campus at the same time so that we have plenty of room for physical distancing. So um, students, uh, elementary students would be attending school two to three days a week um, for a shortened day. Uh, there's some mitigation efforts that we're putting in place to make sure people are really safe when they return. Um, and so the day will be a little bit shorter. Um, students will also have a check-in with their teacher when they're off-site, and they will have um, some independent work um, that they need to do at home uh, through distance learning. Um, secondary students, we're still working on finalizing schedules, but we will be having a hybrid schedule because we need to reduce the number of students on campus. So that's how it'll look different. Um, you know, currently all students are doing, uh, are learning through distance learning. Um, and uh, at that point when we can reopen, the distance learning will still be an option for students and families that want to continue that. So it will be a variety um, for folks to choose from and then really that hybrid model where they're getting both in-person instruction and distance learning. So teachers then will be somehow managing to balance in-person instruction, hybrid scheduling, so half of their classes 
at a time, I guess, or some number, some reduced number, um, some Mm -hmm. fraction of their classes and the distance learning, the online teaching that they've been doing since, since March. Correct. But we will be, you know, having certain teachers that are doing just distance learning. I see. Uh, And uh, so that, you know, we're, we're trying to reduce the preparation burden and the stresses of having both, um, you know, students distance and um, students that are also in person. We also do have to follow guidelines from the state um, around distance learning and um, just instructional minutes throughout the year. Um, We have to ensure 240 uh, instructional minutes, but we also have to ensure live daily interaction. So we need to make sure that we're checking in with students every day. So that's a really important component in the hybrid. And the distance learning counts as live daily interaction, right? Yes. That's so interesting. I mean, it is it is live. It's like you, they, they are interacting with their teachers. It's just not in person. Right. Yes. It's live daily interaction, but not necessarily in person. Right. And not even necessarily with your screen up. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you could just be kind of muted and, you know, I don't know, maybe some kids do their schooling in their pajamas if other people's households are anything like ours. Um <laughs> It's it's been a, a bizarre year. Um, okay, well, thank you for that, Katie. Uh, Katie is the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services at Ukiah Unified. We're going to turn now to Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel Sherman is the Director of Maintenance, Operations, and Transportation. You've been hard at work getting all of the campuses ready, I mean, for opening at some point, but now it looks like opening is, is really in the works. So can you talk about some of the changes that have happened to the campuses to the to the actual buildings um, and and I guess you call them plants but to the actual schools and and how that that's have that has to change in order to make it safe for kids to return yeah it's been a little bit of a metamorphosis and it's changed um, over time I mean I think we began with really looking at the data that showed that um, droplets and trans you know was the the main source of transmission so early on we you know we set up plastic barriers like you see in you know most supermarkets at our front desks and our offices and since then we've it's kind of morphed um you know a lot of the data you know early on showed that that you know it was more airborne so we did uh purchased a couple of tra- tractor trailer loads versus of, uh, of HEPA air scrubbers. So we purchased around, I believe almost 300 air scrubbers and we have those deployed throughout the district. So every classroom, every occupied working space that's you know not a single person office has at least one or, or more depending on the volume of the room. Um, we shut down all of our drinking fountains because that's another source of transmission. And we, we doubled our uh, water fillers and hydration stations at all of our plants and campuses. You know, the idea being having students when they finally come back to, to bring their own bottles and use those to fill so we don't have any you know, transmission that way. Um, you know, as Katie and Deb mentioned, another, you know, another issue we have to look at is social distancing on campus. So the classrooms are gonna look different. Um, early on, you know, the, over the last decade or so, one of the trends in education has really been pushing for collaborative learning. So having students seated, multiple students in one um, in one desk or table, and that presents a problem under hybrid learning and COVID. So we did identify, um, you know, all of our classrooms that have those multi multi student seating, and we purchased um, over three thousand, about thirty five hundred new desks. 
um, to bring in. And so the, those desks are, are being installed right now, actually, as we speak by our maintenance and custodial teams. Um, we also purchased up just the PPE um, for, for all of our staff and our students. So, our, you know, luckily we, we have a quite a large warehouse space. Um, we're sitting at about 45,000 surgical masks combined between um, children's and staff. And, you know, of course, that's not what we project we're going to need once it's over, but we have our first round. And then as we calculate burn rate, we'll be restocking those. Um, we also have uh, just the cloth reusable masks. We have about 10,000 of those. Um, I think 6,000, around 6,000 face shields. Um, we have thousands of surgical smocks, you know, gloves as much as we can get. Um, we've also put in um, touchless faucets at all of our bathroom areas to, to kind of mitigate that transmission. I think our maintenance team over the winter put in about 400 of those throughout the district. Um, it's been a heavy lift for sure. And, and you know, our goal is not just to make our, our campuses safe, but to make them um, after this long absence to have when our students come back, have them be noticeably better. So I know the custodial crews have spent a long time, a lot, a lot of time doing painting on the campus, looking at the wayfinding and the stripes for um, being able to know where to go, what, you know, um, you know, we have one-way corridors in a lot of schools. And so that's been done, um, striping of all of our, the curbs to really identify where, you know, where a drop-off area is and isn't. Um, they've been busy. And I gotta say the campuses look really good right now and they're ready for the kids. Wow, amazing. The numbers are staggering. Uh, 10,000 cloth masks, 45,000 surgical masks. I just imagine kids <laughs> burning through those, <laughs> I guess. We have hand sanitizer stations that accept five-gallon pails. And so, that, you know, that's the volume we kind of have to look at. Um, and again, I mean, that what we have to balance is, is uh, making sure we're not overstocking one item for the detriment of others. So, you know, the other part of this is, is once we start going, we really need to be tracking how much we're using and making sure we're keeping up, keeping ahead of our orders. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's a start. I'm hoping that we'll use all of them and not need any more. But, um, yeah, and the, I, like you said, it'll, there'll be a, a learning curve as you start this process of reopening with the with the smallest kids. Um, you're not going to be opening up this stockpile completely right away. You're going to start with just a, about what a third of the, of the kids, uh, the TK through through second, are going to be the, the sort of experimental group. Um, when you said the desks are being installed, I'm wondering are they going to be secured to the ground at six foot intervals, or how does how's that going to work? No, they're they're actually pretty high quality desks. They don't need to be secured to the ground, but um, you, you know, it'd be hard pressed. You'd have to go out of your way to move them, and I don't think that's a really concern we have. Um, they, you know, we this is about the desks alone is about I think eight or nine tractor trailer loads, and because of the pandemic and the way you know global logistics work, and the fact that we're competing competing with the entire wor world with this, um, these actually came through our vendor. You know, typically they. You know, in, in normal times, they would go get shipped from China, wherever they're manufactured, to one one place in the U.S. They'd be, you know, they'd be pulled together and then shipped and um, to site. We actually, you know, to, in order to get these in in time, and this is over the course of I think we've been working on this for four or five months. You know, these all of these con containers came direct from the manufacturing site. So a lot of them from Korea and China. They got shipped overseas, the port of Oakland then hit a tractor trailer, came up to our warehouse, and we actually have the, the vendor in, um, putting them together in our warehouse. So they've been actually, we've had the materials on hand since um, mid-December, but they've been being built and deployed as they go. So I think we're 
we should be finishing up all of our elementary sites early next week and then we'll be on to the middle schools from there and wow. i think we'll, we'll all have them done by uh by early february okay and just uh, another part of your job is transportation right so i imagine that getting kids to school especially kids who take the bus uh is got to be a major challenge to figure out how to do that safely you want to talk about that well, as we all know, we are uh, we're, we're a fairly rural county. Um, you know, Ukiah Unified probably less so than some of our other sister schools in the county. But transportation is a major concern. Um, you have kids coming from far flung areas, right? From Lake and from North County and from even maybe Northern Sonoma. Right, but so for our, our actual bus transportation, our buses only transport within our district boundaries. So for point of reference, it's about 25 miles north to south. So it goes to the edge of Redwood Valley, kind of Golden Rule, the, the grade up to Willits, um, out to Tomkai, and then south it goes to Hoplin. That's kind of a, the limits of, and then, and then east to west within the valley. But um, in road miles, when you actually stretch that out, that's a lot of ground to cover. Um, and our buses are typically pretty, you know, pretty loaded in normal times. Now, you know, we are projecting that we're only going to be have about half of our students on campus and probably less than that, given, you know, that's that some families are going to choose to stay remote. But that still puts some strain on transportation, given that, you know, normal our normal pack in a bus can be two to three students to a seat. And the standards now are one or even every other. So, you know, we're looking at being able to only transport about one quarter to one third our normal load for a bus. Um, and so that will be that will be problematic, and we're still trying to unpack the, the the guidelines. And this is one that really there wasn't a lot of directives on very early on, and only in the last couple of months have we gotten some good um, best practice and guidelines from the state on. Um, so you know we'll see. I, it's going to be doable, and our staff have been working very tirelessly behind the scenes. I mean, we actually our uh, lead mechanic who who I'm you know very grateful for, who's been spending a lot of time on this. He actually identified very early on. Um, some high-grade HEPA filters that work on buses. So they're a, it's a totally different variety from what we have in our classrooms. It, they work on direct current. They're able to work with CHP to be able to legally install them in the buses. Um, so all of our, our entire fleet has HEPA filters on them. Uh, we, we're the only district I'm aware of, at, and I you know, have a quite network that actually has that in. Um, our drivers have been um, supplementing a lot of our other programs to kind of help out because they haven't been driving, but they're actually starting some pretty intense clinics now to look at those new standards. So actually I have drivers um, will be on the road in the next couple of days doing skills training, working with the new masking requirements. Um, every time they stop and they have to load and unload kids, they're going to have to put a face mask on, but they can't drive with that face mask. So there's, there's a lot of um, a lot that's going to have to go into it to get the system going, but they're, they're ramping up. Wow, the logistics are mind-boggling. So let me reintroduce you. I'm Alicia Bales, and on the line with us are Superintendent of Ukiah Unified School District, Deb Cuban, Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, Katie Summer, and Director of Maintenance Operations and Transportation, Gabriel Sherman. We're talking about the uh, the reopening of schools in the Ukiah Valley and Ukiah Unified School District. We've gotten some guidance from the state and um, the legislature is going to be looking at that and voting on it soon. But the the start date projected by the state is February 15th for the youngest students from TK to second grade uh, with a March 15th start date projected date um, for uh, third through sixth grade. So we are, uh, as you can hear, the planning is uh, is real. It's on the ground and it, it, they are getting schools ready for kids to return to in-person learning. 
So, um, Deb, let's talk a little bit about why now. There's been, uh, we've been talking about schools pretty much nonstop since the pandemic hit. Um, but, and a lot of advice has been to keep schools closed because it just was, it just seemed too dangerous to reopen. And I know teachers were justifiably concerned about their health and their safety, but also just, you know, no one wanted, as the numbers were surging, no one wanted to see schools become hotspots for COVID. Um, so, but now the, the thinking about it seems to have changed and changed dramatically. So what has happened that now seems to be the time? So the state um, over in December uh, at the right after the holiday released, um, there, there have been several scientific studies done. I am not a scientist, nor am I a medical doctor, um, but the state released um, some of these studies that indicate that elementary students um, do not transmit COVID at the rate of uh, that adults do. And, and based on these studies, the California Department of Public Health believes that we can safely reopen, especially our elementary schools with, with these mitigation measures in place. So um, that is mostly what has changed um, is, is really the science, um, looking at the science behind this, uh, this virus and, um, and learning from that. Um, I, I'll also add um, two things. One is, I know the state is hoping to open our elementary schools by February 15th, but the guidance does say that it kind of depends on the local health conditions. So if we do not get under that number of 25 uh, uh, per 100,000 um, population for the adjusted case rate, um, we would not be eligible to reopen at that time. Got it. I think, so, what are we at, about 33 right now, somewhere around there? We're in the 30s, mm -hmm. yes. And, and it's not the number that people see on that on the county dashboard. There's actually a, um, a state website that tracks the numbers. The, the number on the dashboard is what is reported to the county. What the state tracks is positive cases based on the date they had the COVID test. So... Um, so anyway, it's a little confusing. You can't really use the, the county dashboard to see where we are in terms of our, um, our case rate. Um, it is a, there is a state website um, that we're happy to share with listeners and with you on, on if people want to track it. Um, so that's kind of a key piece, but it, it is really based on um, science uh, that these studies that, that um, California Department of Public Health has uh, researched and came to their conclusions on. And then of course, we, as you've heard Gabe talk, we have acquired um, a lot of personal protective equipment and uh, really worked on our facilities to make sure that when we do come back that it, it, that it is safe. And then I'm also really happy to report that about 78% of our staff has um, received their first uh, dose of the vaccine. So I think all of those pieces coming together will help us get our schools reopened. Um, and, and also I'll just add that um, our, our students have been out of school for a long time. And I just, I want to give a ton of kudos to our teachers for everything that they've done to make this adjustment to distance learning and really just all of our staff for everything that they've done to try and serve the needs of our kids. Um, and, and, 
even despite that, um, we just shared with our school board the data on our kindergarten and first graders and, and only about 25% of kindergarten and first graders in our district are at benchmark um, in, in reading. And so um, we know the best place for most of our kids is in person in the classroom. And so right. as soon as it's safe to reopen, we definitely have urgency to get our, get our students back to school um, in person. Right. So we've got much evolving understanding of the risks of kids spreading. It seems to be that science is discovering that kids, for, for actually physiological reasons, appear to not spread this disease between themselves as much. They're not as susceptible. It seems to be like as people get older, they get more uh, susceptible to catching COVID. And then you have this amazing miracle of 78% of your staff is vaccinated, which is, I imagine, for teachers, a game changer. And finally, you're realizing after 10 months of being out of school that the detriment to the kids is severe and that um, that that sort of uh, the, the graph of the, you know, the cost and benefit of keeping them out of school to protect them and keep them healthy. Now it's starting to do more damage than, than protect them. So, um, but I'd love to focus for a moment on the vaccine achievement here. Um, Katie, have you, can you talk about the vaccines and, and how, um, how the teachers and the rest of the staff, how that all came to pass that already you have 78% of your staff has gotten their first shot. How did you pull that off? Well, I'm going to defer to uh, Superintendent Deb Cuban because okay. she is the one <laughs> who really uh, worked tirelessly to end, along with many others, to make that happen. Well, I um, so, t so education staff is in Tier 1B. So um, the county had gone through almost all of their Tier 1A. Um, and I think the um, freezer failure from Adventist Health that Monday when the freezer failed and they had to administer 830 uh, doses in a couple of hours, it propelled us to get organized. And all of our, and I'll speak really on behalf of all of our school districts in this county, to really get organized and find out from our staff who, who wants to get vaccinated so that when we're called and it's our turn, we are totally organized and ready to go. And so we gathered that information and I know all of our districts in our county did as well. Um, the city of Ukiah, uh, they, they um, were able to get several of their uh, paramedics um, trained to administer the vaccine. And so we have partnered with the city of Ukiah to get our staff vaccinated, which I know has helped with the whole um, public health system to have more entities that are able to participate in these mass mass vaccination clinics. And so um, we we got highly organized um, and you know our, our to the credit of our county of Minnesota. So I think we all see the importance of getting our students and getting these vaccines done is really a key to doing that. And so um, last week we partnered with the city of Ukiah to do two mass vaccination clinics. One was on Tuesday, um, the other one was on Friday and uh, we were able to, I think on Tuesday, um, we did 206 of our employees and the city did a little bit over 300 um, vaccinations on that day in about four hours. And then on Friday, 
Um, I think I'm pretty sure we did close to 400, um, not just of ours. We were able to take Mendocino, we work in conjunction with Mendocino County Office of Education. They were working with all the private schools and charter schools to get their lists. Um, they couldn't quite serve them all through the clinic that was happening on Friday for them. So um, we were able to work with them and get their overflow done. Uh, we did some um, Mendocino College. So it's really just a massive joint effort. Um, I, I feel like this is a, a major community uh, issue and we're part of this community and whatever we can do to contribute to that. Um, we, we sent some of our employees to help um, at the fairgrounds last week with public health. We've sent them to, um, to help with the city of Ukiah's mass vaccination clinics. We are here to help our community, um, certainly our kids, that is our first priority, but um, I think getting our community back to, um, it, to normal functioning eventually, we all have an interest in that and we are all here to help. And so it was really, um, it's really positive when, when you deal with so many um, unknowns, uncertainties, massive challenge after challenge. It, it's kind of like this light of, of hope that is out there. And um, so I'm really happy that we could help with that. And, and we stand by ready to help even more um, as, as uh, the county receives more vaccine. So it, it is a, it's a really great story. An incredible achievement. And I've heard people who have been at these clinics, first of all, raving about how well organized they are, uh, but also, yes, talking about that feeling of, of hope and of excitement and, and kind of the charge of finally having something to do that will make a significant difference in, in this pandemic. So can, did you, were you feeling that too when you were at these clinics? Oh, definitely. I, um, I, Tammy Bartlemy with the city of Ukiah, um, she, her organizational skills are just incredible. And uh, so working with her and Jen Banks from um, EMS and just the whole crew, but um, Tammy was sharing with me that the, the, um, the slowdown in this process we were doing was in, you, because after you get your vaccine, you have to wait for 15 minutes and be observed. And so she said that they discovered that's where the holdup was because our staff was so happy to see each other in person, right. even if it's socially distanced, wearing masks after having uh, received a, a vaccine, it was hard to you know, get them moving along. So we are very excited. And uh, on Friday, we delivered um, stickers and lollipops to the clinic as um, one of our kindergarten teachers um, thought we should have stickers and lollipops. So <laughs> we, are, we are very happy. Uh, we're, they're always creative. I just love them so much. But Because um, you guys got shots. Yes, exactly. So we're very happy. And uh, we should, um, that 78% um, will be, uh, get their second dose on February 11th. So uh, depending on where we are in terms of our daily case rate, uh, yeah. by February 15th, all 78% of the staff should have their second dose. Uh, that is correct. Yes. That's amazing. And did you find much hesitancy among the staff? Uh, it sounds like a vast majority of them signed up and, and went, for, went for it. Yeah, I would say the majority of our staff um, definitely want to get vaccinated. You know, there, there's a, this is a new vaccine. There's a lot of um, uncertainty with it. So... Um, like anywhere else, we, we do have people who are either undecided or they do not want to get it. 
So, um, so anyway, Kate, Katie's actually a science teacher and I got so excited when she was explaining the science behind the vaccine. Um, so anyway, we, we do have a small percentage though, who um, are choosing not to get the vaccine. Well, and how many staff, how many employees do you have when you talk about 78%, how many people is that? Um, we have over 800 employees. Okay, so this is a significant chunk, not just out of your staff, but out of our city of Ukiah. <laughs> this is when you talk about being a force for having these vaccinations happen in the community. Uh, and the, and I imagine, too, the schools, they're one of the main ways our families are organized because the kids are, you know, organized into classrooms. And it's one of the ways we know and communicate with each other as a community. So that'll probably getting that back and running will probably be very helpful in further vaccine vaccine vaccination efforts, especially if and when it's approved for kids. Absolutely. Let's talk about, um, let me reintroduce you. This is Alicia Bales. Uh, on the line with us are Superintendent of Ukiah Unified School District, Deb Cuban, Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services, Katie Summer, and Director of Maintenance, Operations, and Transportation, Gabriel Sherman. This is the dream team of uh, educators who are getting Ukiah schools ready to open, possibly as soon as February 15th, but certainly in the near future, uh, responding to state guidelines and incentives to uh, now finally get our schools back open after so many months. Um, and I wonder, one of the things that you mentioned was that teachers are just so happy to see each other. And I imagine that kids are going to feel the same way. Uh, I wonder about um, the, the sort of the, the mental and emotional health of the kids after so long of being isolated from physically isolated from each other and how you're thinking about uh, the process of um, the transition back into in-person and how they're doing sort of emotionally. Do you have, have you been planning around uh, supporting them, their mental health and their emotional health? Absolutely. Um, we have a great, uh, Ukiah Unified has really um, prioritized counseling support. Over the last eight years, we have increased the number of counselors who we employ, and it really has paid off over the last three years of, as we have dealt with so many crises in our community with wildfires and the pandemic. Um, and so we have a whole team of counselors. They're currently working still, um, staying connected with kids. Um, being able to run some groups. Um, and uh, we, we know that our kids are going to have a lot of needs when they come back. Um, we know some of them are, are you know, um, alone a lot, uh, you know, living in conditions that maybe they don't get when they're at school. Um, families are struggling. Some of them have lost their jobs. There's just a lot of stress in the home. And we know that as they come back, they'll They'll, they'll need a lot of support, but we will be here. Um, we, have, we have great counseling staff and uh, we will continue to support them as we have through the pandemic through our counseling team. Um, that's been actually a really positive thing. We've had teams that have been going out and doing home visits. They obviously don't go into the home necessarily, but they are checking on students who are struggling in one way or another. So we've done, we've had our teams from our school sites doing these home visits. Um, they've done, uh, Pomalita has reached out into particular neighborhoods um, and connected with students in that way. Um, we've got 
we've, we have some family in-person technology hubs going on for kids who maybe don't have great internet at home, despite our over 800 uh, wireless hotspots that we have deployed out to our families. So um, we really have tried to just pull out all the stops to get our families and kids supported. And we will do that when they return as well. You've got some challenges uh, in terms of education as well, right? You've been tracking sort of how kids have been doing with the remote learning, and you found that um, actually they're not doing as well as w- with the, just their basic skills, the, the learning, you know, their academics as they would have had they been in person or as, they, as you would have expected them to do. Um, so do you are you planning for them to to have some catch up or some uh, more intensive uh, sort of trying to repair the, the loss to their education over the last 10 months? Yes. And if anybody else wants to pipe in, that is totally fine. Um, but yes, we are, um, we're hoping that we will be fully in person by summer. And our hope is that we, pl- that we are able to provide a full summer program. We usually have a pretty limited summer school We'd like to be able to provide a summer program to any family or child who wants it, both um, uh, both learning supports for kids who may have fallen a bit behind, and then enrichment also. Um, for example, we know we know at the high school we will have some students who need to make up some credits, but we also know that we've had kids in classes that are more hands-on, like ceramics or auto shop, and they haven't been able to put their hands on a car. Um, band. They're banned. <laughs> they yes. haven't been able to play together. Yes. And so we're hoping to do some of that as well, some more enrichment programs for, for kids and families who want them so we can help them accelerate their learning over the summer. Um, and, and I'll just say that our test results may not show. I believe kids have learned a lot during this pandemic um, that you can't really measure by a test Mm -hmm. uh, that we can't discount. Um, I think our kids have mad technology skills for sure. Um, They, they, they know, they now know at a very early age how to use technology. Um, They are, they are rolling through this pandemic and they're learning resiliency and persistence and all of those things that you can't necessarily measure with a test. But we know we will have some lost learning and we will work really hard to get those kiddos um, who are showing through the data that they they have some learning gaps, get them caught up. You know, that's interesting. It's one of the things I would like to talk about um, as we sort of near the the end of our of our hour here is sort of bigger picture. I mean, I, I realize that with all of the planning and with, you know, every student and, and all of the guidelines and all of the, the budgetary concerns and test scores and all that, there are so many details. It's it's dizzying. But if we could step back a little bit and think about COVID and its impact on on your schools and on your school district and on your community, um, do you think there are there are lessons learned or is, is there some something that you're that you're noticing an, an permanent impacts on how you understand what you do on how you communicate on on how you approach education in our communities that you've taken away from covid and and I'd love to hear from each of you about this how has it changed your perspective um I I think we've learned a lot and we will in the next month, we're going to gather from our students and our parents and our staff 
what has gone well during the, the last 10 months? Um, I'll say that uh, we have definitely increased, I'll give an example, we have definitely increased communication to our families. That's for sure. Wow. And we're almost over communicating, I know, sometimes. <laughs> I'm a parent of three kids in our district as well, and I, I understand that. Um, we all have a new best friend named Doug Schald. <laughs> he texts us all the time. That, that has been a positive. We have definitely increased communication. Um, these home visits that I was describing um, have been a positive. Um, and, and so we're going to be gathering that from parents and students and staff so that as we update our three-year plan, we capture some of those um, incredibly positive pieces that have positively impact stu impacted student learning in our district. So I'll be quiet because I know I've been talking a lot and I will let um, Katie and, and Gabe talk. Yeah, we've learned a lot um, through this pandemic. I think one of the things that um, has really, and Deb mentioned it before, but we've pushed our learning of technology, um, both from the student end and the staff end um, in the use of instructional technologies, um, in the use of teaching with um, technology. And we've learned a lot from that. Um, and I think we know that um, we will continue to be using some of the tools that we purchased this year um, because now they're invaluable. We realize the benefit um, of those tools. So uh, we've learned a lot that way. We've also learned a lot about um, the partnership that's needed between uh, parents and teachers. Um, and again, communication, you know, we've just uh, been able to really increase our communication. Um, so we're really excited about that. And as Deb said, um, we're continuing to collect uh, that information um, and uh, the uh, around what we've learned. And um, we're really excited to continue to implement some of the um, technologies that we've had, but also a lot of new ideas have been coming out of how we can do things at schools that, you know, in the past, sometimes the school itself, the physical school building has slowed us down. Um, and so we've been able to implement some things that uh, we wouldn't have before. Do you have and any examples of that? Sure. So um, one of our Pomelita Middle School is um, starting a, um, this semester is starting a, a wake up morning uh, music session uh, where they're going to be chiming in music to students to help them get ready and connected and moving um, in the morning. Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, we're learning. We went, oh yeah, we want to get kids up right there at home. We got to get them going. So, um, you know, Pomelita Middle School has been uh, just started that initiative using kids too and having playlists. So some of those types of um, not just academic, but social emotional uh, strategies. So sort of a, a, a leap forward in terms of meeting kids where they are with their technology and being able to communicate with them. <laughs> Providing playlists for getting up and getting ready in the morning. That's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, which we all know can be a challenge sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Gabe, what about you? Anything that you've you've you're taking away from this experience that you might not have uh, might not have um, known had had COVID not hit us. Uh, I'd say on the operational side, I'd, I'd echo Katie and Deb. I mean, 
um, technology, particularly, you know, Zoom or, or um, Meets, you know, that, that ability to have, it's, you know, these, these type of meetings are a sweet spot between the, between the efficiency of a phone call and the ability to really see people and collaborate of a, of a face-to-face -face meeting. So for project management um, particularly, I think it's a game changer. Um, but more locally for our district, I think, in, in, you know, what I've really taken away is, is both personal and team resiliency. I mean, if we, if we can get through this as people or as a group, we can get through anything. Um, I know our operational groups have really had to bunker down and um, get organized and, and kind of develop some, some, not just physical resiliency, but emotional resiliency. So it's um, been a little bit of trial by fire. We kind of joke around that the last, you know, before this, the last three or four years have been really tough for Mendocino County um, with the fires, et cetera. And we talked literally about trial by fire that become really effective teams because of it. But this has just doubled that down probably a couple of times over. So, right. And I think anybody who has been anywhere near kids or schools through this whole experience has gotten a whole new appreciation for schools, you know, for the, for what in-person everyday learning does for kids and also food, like the unintended uh, discovery that a lot of kids get their food from schools. And so right uh, out the gate, you guys had to really ramp up a, a food delivery process so that kids could still have access to quality, nutritious food on a daily or a weekly basis. I mean, I guess we just took took this stuff for granted, you know, because you just you drop your kid off at school in the morning, you see him in the afternoon or the evening when you get home from work, and and you know it just works. But this put a put a wrench in that, and really, I think, um, Gabe, like you said, like we, it's important. It's we have to rise to this occasion, right? Because it's it it's crucial to our kids' survival and well-being, not just you know their career prospects, but their ability to thrive and have quality lives and relationships and and all of that. I don't think we're ready yet to really know what kind of takeaways we're looking at from the pandemic, but it's just interesting at this stage in the game when things start to feel like, you know, maybe the sun is finally starting to rise. You know, we're getting, we have, we have some opportunity to really take stock. Um, let's just very briefly touch on uh, one thing that we didn't get to, which is the testing. Uh, I'm sure parents really want to hear about what the testing regime is going to be like and what I know you don't know right now, but in terms of the planning, what, what are we looking at for, for testing? So that's probably the biggest change that has come out with this new guidance. So in the old documents, um, they, they recommended testing staff on a rotational basis every two months. And now with the new guidance, um, they've aligned testing with the, with the um, case rates. So um, for if a case rate in a county is over 14 on, on the daily uh, average, um, we're supposed, it's recommended that we test all students and staff weekly. Um, and then when you have less than 14 in your case rate and you're in the purple or the red uh, tier, it's every other week that you test every staff person and student. So they've added the students in. So we are planning for that right now. Um, we, ha we had a testing plan that included our staff every two months. 
And so we are working hard on that this week to figure out how we're going to um, implement that. And we know this testing will be voluntary. We, we cannot require people to get tested, um, but we want to have the capacity within our district to be able to identify those um, asymptomatic uh, people so that, that we are able to um, contain any cases that we might have. And how uh, will the testing happen? I mean, who will administer the testing and who will pay for it and what, what kind of testing kits and all that stuff? We are working on that right now. Our original plan to, was to work with our health insurance carrier, but now that the state has increased the cadence of testing, um, we're coming up with plan B. And uh, we will be actually talking to our, um, our leaders at our school sites uh, this Thursday on how we might be able to um, carry that out, who would do it, um, we're, we, we likely will uh, be looking, we, will, we are looking at the state's testing program that they have rolled out um, to be able to implement that. Um, so I don't have good answers yet, but right. we will have good answers by the end of the week and it will be part of our COVID safety plan that we will be um, submitting next week. All right. And, and parents, you have a series of uh, open houses or forums for parents to find out or for actually different constituencies to find out. You want to announce those? Yes, that would be great. So um, next week we're doing three town halls. And um, on Monday, we're, we're going to be doing a town hall in Spanish. So for our Spanish speaking families, we will be doing that Monday from 530 to 630. And people can watch live on Facebook. Um, we put all this out in our last Friday's communication and we'll keep advertising them. And then on Tuesday, January 26th from 530 to 630, we will be um, having an elementary school uh, town hall. So, um, so Families can listen in, they can send questions in via email. We'll be answering those questions. Um, it will be streamed through our um, live YouTube channel. And then on uh, Wednesday, January 27th from 5.30 to 6.30, we will be doing a town hall for um, families of middle school and high school students. So uh, we invite the community to listen in and, um, and ask questions. This is just a first one. I imagine we'll probably do another one before we reopen. Um, but uh, though we're, we invite the community to those. Great. And, and the community can submit questions how? Um, they can submit them to townhallquestions at uusd.net. Okay. And you can probably find that email address at your website? That is correct. And what is that website? <laughs> www.uusd.net. Okay, terrific. So there's uh, three town halls next week to find out more about all of this. The 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 sort of uh, plan the the plans will be finalized as finalized as they can be by Friday, right? That is our hope. Yes, that we will get them finalized by Friday or Monday morning, um, and that as soon as they are finalized, we will be submitting them to the the required people and. We anticipate things to change again. So be flexible, um, give a lot of love and compassion to our staff because they've been working super hard. And, uh, and, and again, things may change. It's sort of like the vaccine. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're not quite at the end of the tunnel yet. But we're, we're, we're getting there. You're, you're taking those first very real steps toward throwing the doors back open. So 
Deb Cuban, Katie Summer, Gabriel Sherman, thank you so much for spending the hour. Uh, it was really valuable and in incredible to hear about all of the work that you're doing and amazing that schools might actually really be reopening. So thanks a lot, everyone. Thank, thank you for having you. us. Thank you, Alicia. You've been listening to a special program about schools reopening in the Ukiah Valley. I'm Alicia Bales. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.